Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our topic today is obesity. We have three guests who will be joining us today. Samantha Schaefer is here. She's a dietitian with Indiana University Health or Indiana University Health Bloomington. She's here in the studio. Uh, Marcy Memmer is joining us by phone. She's the director of the Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity at the Indiana State Department of Health. And we will be joined uh, a little bit later by Ryan Daffer, the Community Wellness Coordinator and Director of the Taking on Obesity Program in Vigo County uh, with the YMCA. If you have Questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, uh, Samantha, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us. And Marcy, thanks for joining us by phone. Thank you. All right. We appreciate it. Um, you know, this is a big Big issue. Recent uh, reports coming out says say basically that Indiana is just getting fatter. It's uh, the eighth in the nation. Eighth in the nation. A dubious honor. Dubious honor. That's correct. And uh, basically, the uh, CDC, which did the survey, found nearly thirty one percent of Hoosiers identified themselves as obese. And one of the things that, s- that jumped out to me is that that was a jump from uh, two thousand ten when it was twenty nine point six in Indiana. And to put that in a little bit of context, um, Illinois actually went down in that year, our neighbors to the west, um, and Ohio stayed virtually the same in that year, but Indiana jumped up. So I guess we have a a lot of work to do here. Well, I want to know, first of all, how overweight do you have to be to be classified as obese? And what does that definition mean? Um, definitely the, the they do by body mass index, and the obesity category is when you score a 30 or higher. Um, typically, the overweight category is anywhere from 25 to a 29.9 um, on the body mass index, which is using the weight to height ratio mm-hmm. um, and calculating that, that out. Um, typically, with the overweight category, that usually signals someone's about 30 pounds um, over the normal weight for their height. Okay, so if people at home want to try to figure out where they stand in this, uh, so we know mm-hmm. we, they know if we're talking about them or not, um, how do you do? How do you do the calculation? I think the easiest thing to do, honestly, is um, type in a BMI calculator um, mm-hmm. into the internet because it uh, can be a little bit confusing uh, with the calculation, especially converting some of the numbers over. Mm-hmm. And so if someone has an accurate height and weight, um, I would definitely get something most recent. I know a lot of people, um, they find or women are underestimating their weight and men overestimate on their height. So <laughs> if we can um, not use the height that is um, from 20 years ago from the mm-hmm. doctor's office, mm-hmm. we know we also shrink a little bit as mm-hmm. we age. But you can just type in those numbers and um, there will be a pop-up. Um, definitely the Centers of Disease Control has a great, great website that you can use for that. Okay, I, like to just, I like to just go by my driver's license weight. <laughs> and how old is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Has, I has think I told him my weight about 20 years has ago. Has anybody ever told the truth on that? Honest to God. No, I don't I think don't so. Think so. Right. Marcy, so uh, from the state perspective, you know, what, what uh, is your reaction to the, the fact that you know, our obesity rate has gone up and that we're now ranked eighth in the nation? You know, what, what can the state do about it? Well, regarding that particular data, real quick, I just want to mention that the 2010 data mm-hmm. is not comparable to oh, the 2011 okay. data, uh, just based on the uh, surveillance system that was used for that. Um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention weighted uh, the data differently. Uh, there was cell phone uh, collection included in that. So it's really not a comparison at all. You can't compare the two. What I think is important about the 2011 
2011 data, though, is it's still a reminder that a third of our population is obese. And when you add that to overweight, two-thirds of our adult population is overweight and obese. So these individuals are really looking um, towards a possible lifetime of, you know, uh, dealing with overweight and obesity, but also are at risk of getting other chronic diseases. So at our state perspective, we're really looking at opportunities where we can help those individuals, um, you know, make a good choice, but also make sure that there are supportive environments uh, where people can make those good choices. So... when you look at the state data, are there differences that you find between, you know, in, in pockets of the state? Are, are people in rural areas uh, more susceptible to being obese than urban areas? Is there anything you can, you can sort of take away from looking deeper into the data? Yes, when you look at the data, um, yeah, obesity rates tend to be higher in, um, you know, rural areas. Uh, they tend to be higher in uh, low income, mm-hmm. uh, uh, low educated areas. Um, but if you look at the overall rates, though, I mean, obesity has impacted everyone, uh, regardless of race, age, income, or education. So it's certainly, uh, we, we want to be mindful and address to the best of our ability where there are disparities, and that's where we see some of the disparities. But certainly, you know, when you look at the, the, the behaviors most important to maintaining a healthy weight and losing weight, eating well, and being physically active, those are behaviors that are important to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the state doing to help people um, in the groups that you mentioned that are particularly challenged um, with this obesity problem? That's a great question. We are working through a network of partners um, in the Indiana Healthy Weight Initiative, and we are working on um, implementation of the state obesity prevention plan. Uh, It's a 10-year plan from 2010 to 2020 uh, where we are looking at uh, some of those disparate populations as well as we're really looking at the areas where people spend their most time, so work sites, schools, child care, and the community at large. There's additional focus on breastfeeding, older adults, and faith-based communities. But again, we're looking at where can we make a difference to ensure that, one, people have options. We're not necessarily saying get rid of all junk food and sugar-sweetened beverages, um, even though that's probably the ideal situation, but we're lo- how can we have more healthy options for people and how can their environment support them living a healthy lifestyle? Okay. All right. Our phone numbers again, if you want to talk to us about the obesity uh, problem in Indiana and uh, actually in the nation, our numbers are 855-0811 or... You can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Now, Marcy, I appreciate your – thank you very much for sort of um, explaining that data and how you can't compare 2010 to 2011. Um, But are there some longitudinal studies that would tell us that this 31.8% – is something that, I mean, that that the number is continuing to rise? Well, what we've seen in the last 20 years nationally and within our state is that the obesity rate has gone up, definitely, dramatic increase. But here in the last few years, we have started to see some of the numbers starting to level off, uh, which I I think we need a few more years of data to to really confirm that. But, you know, that could be encouraging in the sense that we're not going up. Um, but we, you know, I, I think the important message in that is it, it took us, you know, decades to get to this unhealthy state, and and we're going to have to be very persistent and and patient as a state, as communities, as families and individuals to to get back to that healthy state. But it's definitely possible, and, you know, it's not just about individual choice and environments, but it's also about changing our social norms as a state uh, about what we value as far as, you know, healthy lifestyles as well. I I can say that I I have a, a son in high school, and I'm very impressed with his body of knowledge regarding nutrition. And, um, 
he's, in fact, they, it's been a consistent thing um, all through school that they've talked about nutrition. And uh, he came home the other day and announced, you know, really, the only sensible diet is Weight Watchers. <laughs> <laughs> he says, that's really a lifestyle change and really the only thing that's sustainable. I know. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to compliment, you know, whoever's responsible for the local efforts um, in the schools because obviously they're, they're, making an, they're having an impact. Yes, and I would have to agree. I think that we are putting more of um, our focus on um, the educational and the prevention level. We know that um, the younger that we can educate the children, um, it also helps influence the parents' choices um, at their requests when they go home. But we do need to make sure that their environment's healthy at all different levels. All right, we have two phone calls already, so this is a hot topic, and we're going to go first to Stan. Stan? Hi, I, um, I have read and and also I believe heard an interview that a young body adapts to fat and salt in the same way that say it does to caffeine and nicotine, and that if that's true, we're talking about young children whose parents are the problem. Um, I, I really applaud what's being done in schools, but but it seems to me. Uh, it, it's almost a case of needing a Bloomberg approach. <laughs> uh, you know, Big Daddy, uh, on, on the parents, I, I'm not sure how we educate that without being more, I would say, forceful. Could Are you talking about Bloomberg's efforts to take sugar, to downsize sugar drinks in New York yeah. City? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd like to hear some discussion about the, the, the problem with the youngest of our citizens. Well, I think, Stan, you bring up a good point, and Samantha mentioned this, too, is that, you know, it, it is so important for us to start early. I mean, and when we say early, I mean, we're talking about everything back to proper prenatal care, too, before a baby's even born, to help make sure that, you know, that infant, and then as they grow into children and, and young adults, have the best possible start in life towards healthy lifestyles. And the parents are definitely a part of, you know, this obesity prevention effort. Um, you know, it's important that the home have a healthy environment and that families work together. So they are definitely an important piece, but I don't think they're the only piece. And that, that's what we're really, you know, focusing on from a state perspective is, you know, obesity prevention is very complex and there's a lot of, you know, factors uh, into how we got here. And, and we really need everyone. We need parents. We need other caregivers. Uh, we need school officials. We need child care advocates. We need employers. We need all those individuals and organization hands-on to, to address this epidemic. Let me get a, a little clarification on what Stan said. He, he, uh, Stan, I believe you compared um, nicotine and caffeine to sugar and salt. So are, are these actually, and I'm turning to Samantha here, these, can these, these be an addiction for a young person? Well, definitely we know that the salt taste that we have in our mouth um, is driven as the more we intake, the more that we kind of need that salt flavor to get the same um, taste and, and as we eat. Um, the nice thing about that, that taste is as we slowly decrease it, we retrain those taste buds mm -hmm. too. Um, and I don't know if anyone out there has done that before, but mm -hmm. as you uh, eat something that's really salty, then again, it tastes really, really salty to you. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we can adjust in our diet. Um, unfortunately, about 80% of our food uh, that's processed and everything already has sodium uh, intake uh, or making our sodium intake high. So I think that's where it's really hard is, um, like Stan's referencing, is um, we have some barriers in our way just uh, for our natural choices already have a high amount of salt in there. Fat, of course, um, is what gives food the palatability and that good taste. And so I think the more that you intake that, it can be something that um, drives someone with a high-fat diet to prefer those foods. And if you uh, raise your family on a high-salt, high-fat diet, then I think the taste preferences are formed from an early stage. Mm -hmm. All right, Stan, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go next to Jenny. Jenny? Um, I have a question. I was wondering how you see schools being able to support this initiative. I I know um, that healthy healthy food in schools is really important. I'm interested also in opportunities for activity. I know that locally, my daughter has um, you know two. I think she has PE twice a week. I was wondering if there's a, a 
general recommendation. And also recess is just once a day. I, I seem to remember when I was young that we had three recesses a day. So I was wondering if there are some recommendations for our schools to consider. Marcy? Yeah, there's definitely uh, some considerations for our school. You know, there's some good work we've done, um, you know, at many levels. Um, as far as from policy perspective, we, we do have vending legislation that restricts uh, sugar-sweetened beverages and certain vending items in schools. Uh, we Federally, uh, there's been some changes to the school nutrition uh, guidelines for food that's served in schools. And the physical activity piece, you know, we, we know there's certain recommendations for children to be receiving 60 minutes or more of, you know, physical activity a day. And, um, you know, certainly the schools play a role in that, in that, you know, we, we, we do need to be more mindful of, of how we are starting to slowly get away from having more physical activity, and not necessarily sports, um, but more physical activity for all children uh, throughout the day to supplement any additional physical activity they're having, you know, um, in the evenings maybe with their families. But certainly schools can play a role in finding uh, either more time, which is, is probably laughable considering all the requirements that are necessary for uh, right. academic I mean, performance. Is, I've just become right more and more aware of all of the requirements from the state. I mean, we're looking at, you know, uh, mandates for how much time they spend on certain kinds of activities, on literacy, on math, and sometimes I just wonder if there's a if uh, the people thinking about these things do a lot, they talk a lot about time on task. But I wonder if they're thinking about children's physical health, also supporting the health of the brain. You know, right? And, and right. Just make mm -hmm. those connections, those sort of kinesthetic connections, mm -hmm. to really, uh, really support, uh, you know, academic work too. In yeah, my understanding. I don't think there's a lack of. Uh, school personnel not thinking about it. I, I think it's a matter of how can they be creative and innovative with the current, um, you know, recommendations that they have on them to uh, make sure their children are performing academically well. But we, we have some great examples through the uh, state where, you know, children are giving opportunities before school even starts to be physically active right. um, and or how can we increase Include movement and physical activity in current curriculum, either through maybe a science class or a math class. So there's, there's again, innovative and creative ways we can do this um, and that it is being done. Uh, but I think it's also important to mention that, you know, schools, schools, again, are just one piece of this. The physical activity responsibility, you know, for children falls on many individuals and or organizations. But certainly, um, you know, we, there are ways um, to, to increase those hours if, if we get creative and innovative about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, th thanks. I mean, I just, you know, it seems like there's, there's a push for longer and longer days, too. So there are some kids who are getting home really close to five, you know, leaving the house right. at eight and getting home close to five. So if five days a week you're in school, most of your waking hours, it seems like, um, yeah, we the, the schools then have to take on a broader, um, you know, a, a broader responsibility almost, which is interesting. Anyway, I've, I've taken up enough time, but thank you so much. Hey, Jenny, thanks a lot for the call. Thank okay, you. Bye -bye. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855 877-285-9348. And you can join the live chat, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You know, it's easy to be um, hard on ourselves um, about the the state of things. On the other hand, you know, I think probably you guys are very aware of the recent data put out by, I think, with CBS that said we make over 200 food choices a day. That's remarkable. Do you want, uh, Can you comment on that? And, and uh, are you familiar with this study? I haven't seen that study, but I would say that uh, everyone eats, and so it's a yeah. part of it's a part of a daily decision, uh, multiple times a day that we have to make. And unfortunately, um, it might be contributing to part of the problem with food accessibility um, for some of us is so great, um, and we have so many choices in this country. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. Some have uh, the food insecurity issue, mm -hmm. but we are finding that um, we do have points of choices to make, and we can vote with our food dollar. And so we, we need to start um, maybe changing the tide a little bit and uh, really making those personal and individual decisions for us. Marcy, are you familiar with that research? I am not as familiar with that, no. But and I think to piggyback what Samantha is saying is, 
you know, there's probably a need for some of us to reduce those choices. Um, as far as when we look at portion sizes, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've really grown um, a lot here in the last few decades. So what we consider, you know, uh, a value meal is a lot more calories than, and, than what we really need and or it ends up being, you know, most of your daily caloric intake that's mm-hmm. recommended. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think it's going to make a, a significant difference that, you know, McDonald's and other people are starting to put their calorie counts on their menus? I know in Bloomington, I don't know if that's statewide, but, well, I think it is. It's maybe I'm going to say yes. Thing. I just as a it, consumer, that, I would say yes. Yeah. What do you guys think? I've, I've seen um, actually mixed data on it. I think it's still early um, to say a clear um, defining uh, result on it. But they are finding most people will at least change their side order or um, another option with their meal to decrease calorie um, intake. Um, it might not always change their entree choice. But, again, I think it's um, also education has to go along with that piece to teach people how to use that number that's posted on the board. But I I do think that if um, we're targeting sometimes more of the people that are already trying to watch those things and maybe not particularly the ones that um, need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marcy, we're going to let you go at the break. So we got two or three more minutes. And and I want to get your take on a couple of things. I mean, one is, you know, Bloomington has a a couple of groups, uh, the um, Active Living Coalition. There's Achieve. I'm a member of the Achieve, uh, their chart, I guess Mm -hmm. they call it, um, which is a group that's trying to make the the healthy choice, the easy choices, the way they put it. Um, I wonder if you're familiar with efforts throughout the state or a lot of communities trying to develop efforts where they can try to help their uh, citizens make healthier choices? Absolutely. Bloomington was really one of, it was the first achieved community, uh, but we have other communities that are achieved communities, including uh, Clinton County and Randolph County. So they're doing uh, similar work that's being done in Bloomington as far as looking at, you know, how their transportation system has been built and how they can do a better job of, uh, you know, uh, accommodating all users, including walking uh, walkers and bikers, and looking at how can we get more children to safely be able to walk and bike to school and additional access to fruit and vegetables. Uh, We also have Vandenberg and Bartholomew County uh, that were part of a national program called uh, Communities Putting Prevention to Work, uh, where they were given two years and approximately $2 million apiece uh, to do the same type of work that Achieve uh, is doing. And then we have other communities that aren't necessarily receiving funding, uh, but um, they're doing great work as it relates to either, uh, again, looking at the transportation system and how can they do a better job to uh, accommodate bikers and walkers. Um, communities uh, such as Fort Wayne are looking at more opportunities to put bike lanes on roads. We know in northwest Indiana uh, there's some work being done to look at their food system and how can they, uh, how can the stakeholders in the food system uh, grow more fruits and vegetables that could go to institutions such as schools to offer to students. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of work being done with breastfeeding as well throughout the state in the hospitals. How can hospitals train and um, implement more, uh, have policies as part of their, you know, um, the work that they do to ensure that they're supporting breastfeeding. So that's a great question. There's a lot of great examples uh, going on in our state. Absolutely. Now, in the last 30 seconds I have you, can you give us uh, you know, one practical step that you think uh, that either you've taken or you think anybody could take that would just be one small thing? Because, you know, we're not all going to be able to build you know, new bike lanes. That's a city issue. But everybody individually can do something. What would you suggest? Well, I would suggest two things. Start by drinking more water and also start by moving more, Uh, even if it's just getting up from your desk and taking a uh, brisk walk around the office or the outside of the office, moving more and starting by drinking more water. Okay. Thanks, Marcy. We appreciate having you on the first half of the program. That was Marcy Memmer, Director of the Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity for the Indiana State Department of Health. Uh, Samantha Schaefer is also here. She's a dietitian with the Indiana University Health Bloomington. Ryan Daffer from uh, Terre Haute is going to be joining us after the break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. 
Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Dune Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about obesity, which is, uh, uh, some would say, an epidemic in the state of Indiana and in many parts of the nation. We have uh, two guests with us for the second half of the program. Ryan Daffer has joined us. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. He's community wellness coordinator and director of the Taking on Obesity program with the Vigo County YMCA. And also uh, Samantha Schaefer is here. She's a dietitian uh, with Indiana University Health in Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, please phone, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to join us for a live chat. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Ryan, uh, how did you get involved with Vigo County? And I understand you have sort of a, a personal story to share. About four and a half years ago, I had reached a point in my life where I had just spiraled out of control. And that just didn't start at one point. I mean, it progressively got worse in my life, um, worse and worse. And for me... I reached my breaking point in January of 08, and that was just based on all these years of just bad choices when it comes to eating. I ate what I wanted, when I wanted, and I never thought about 10 years ago what I was doing, how in five years that's going to affect me, affect mm. me, and how in three years. I just thought about that moment. And that night come, and I, I that month leading up to that point was really bad for me, just like bad days, bad nights. It the just holidays, all ran together. everything, yeah. Sure. I ended up moving home because I just couldn't maintain a normal lifestyle by myself. It just, I'd gotten so big. Um, at my heaviest, I was 735 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the, the things that we do every day, we take for granted, because mm-hmm. I couldn't do them. So I went home, and I thought, well, if I go back home, I'm in a different place, maybe I'll do better. But I changed the environment, but I didn't change my, my mental state. You know, I still was thinking the same way, still doing the same things. Mm-hmm. And that evening, I tried to get up out of a chair, and I couldn't. I just – I had a lot of things going on, but I tried to stand up, and I couldn't. So I called my mom, and she tried to help. And then we called – and my stepdad, and he tried, and we couldn't get us. So we called a few other family members, and they come over. And between five of us, I got up. And I looked at my mom right then, and I said, look, I can't do this anymore. I had put off going to a doctor because I knew I had things wrong. You had to be I, scared. I, sure, I was. And I didn't want to hear what he had to say. So I went, I said, I don't care what's wrong. I need to address it. The thing is, when you get that big, you try to go to a hospital. A lot of the tests that you need run, you can't because you're too big for a lot of the machines. You're too big mm-hmm. for a lot of things. So the doctor stood there and he said, you know, just looking at you right now, um, if you live past 72 hours, I'll be shocked. And I was a mess. I mean, I was literally a mess. May I ask how old you were at that time? 29. 29, and he said 72 hours. Yeah. Well, there's a little wake-up call, huh? Wow. I was at a point in my life, though, where I I felt so miserable. I honestly didn't care. I mean, really? When you get to that point, your your days, your nights, it just all runs together, and it's just all bad. So I made it past that point. And before things ever get better, they get worse. Mm. And, you know, it's just bad report after bad report. Were you hospitalized at this time? Yeah. Okay. Well, that night when I made that choice, we went ahead and called ahead Mm -hmm. the hospital and said, hey, we're coming. Here's what you should expect. Mm -hmm. Well, they knew I was coming, but they still weren't equipped. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're that big, you need special beds, you need special wheelchairs, you need special walkers. And so I was in the ER for, I think, I don't know, 48 hours. Then I went to ICU for two more days. 
And then I was in a room for three days. And at that point, the hospital said, the, the kind of physical therapy you need, we don't provide here. You know, you need more than just a week or two of physical therapy. So they said, hey, you're going to have to call around. You're going to have to just find some place that will take you. The thing is, places locally weren't equipped either. So it was this phone call after phone call. No, we're not going to help. We can't help. We finally found a place that will say, we'll take you, but we can't make any guarantees. But we'll try. And when you hear no, 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 and you hear somebody say, well, try, you got to jump on it. I mean, that's all I had. So we, we, they special ordered everything, my bed, my walker, my wheelchair, got it all in. And the facility was great. But even being in the facility, I was still up here mentally. I was still making excuses as to why I couldn't go to therapy. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. Even in a totally different environment, and I knew things were wrong, I still, still didn't get out of that mindset that I was in. So one day, just laying in a bed, <clears throat> no doctors, no family, no anything. I was just laying there. And I was just so upset. When you're that big, you're emotional, um, dealing with, <clears throat> with a lot of issues. And I just made a commitment right then. Look, I'm 29. People expect you to give up just because that's what you've typically done. I made a choice right then. I wasn't going to give up. I knew it wouldn't be easy. I didn't realize how hard it'd be, I guess. <laughs> but we never do. <clears throat> but I just I said, the next day I'm going to go to therapy. And I went. And the next day I went again. And the next day I went again. It got a little bit easier. Not easy, easier. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> you know, those 10 steps turned into 20. Those 20 steps turned into 40. And before I knew it, I was up and doing the things that I used to be able to do a little bit. And once I got up and started moving and started getting my diet under control, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I ate what I wanted. So to go from one end of the spectrum where I ate whatever I wanted, as much as I wanted to, now you're on 1,200 calories a day. That was a, quite a transition for me. But it wasn't as hard as you might think just because hospital foods typically aren't the best. Yeah. So it wasn't too, easy, too hard to follow the, the 1,200 a day. But as I started doing all these things, things just started falling in place for me. And the weight just started coming off. A lot of it was water weight. So they were working on that. But we got me to a point, And I think I, was, I, I checked into the hospital January 25th of 08. April 25th, I got out of rehab. And that time frame, I lost just a little over 200 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's remarkable. Now, did that get you to the point then where you were ambulatory pretty much as much as you wanted to be? Yeah. I mean, I could – at that point, I was now able to do all the things to go back home. The thing is, once I got home, it was, it was like, okay, now I'm back into that place where I used to be my, your comfort zone, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And so I got home. I said, I'm going to do this. I was excited. You know, just to be out of where I was was a big deal to me. And we got home. I noticed I started slipping back. <clears throat> it wasn't like an immediate process, but I'd, I'd slack off in this area. I'd slack off in that area. And then I tried to <clears throat> justify it. And I'm thankful that I recognized it quick enough because I just had 90 days of an experience I didn't want to go through again. So I was able to use that as my reference point. I'm, I'm not going back there. I don't mm-hmm. care how hard going the other way is. It can't be any harder than going through what I just went through. So I, I didn't talk to family, didn't talk to friends. I just went to my local workout facility, the YMCA, <clears throat> and um, got a membership. The thing is, even at like 520 pounds, you can't use most of the machines because I think the weight limit on most of them is like 440, 450. So I could only do what I could do, mm-hmm. but I knew I had to do something. I knew if I just got around people who were exercising, I mean, that, that rubs off on you. You're a product of your environment. And just to be in that environment, I... I I just started doing what I could, and I finally just seen that weight going down. And before I knew it, I was able to get on a machine and then get on the next machine. And the more I started incorporating more <clears throat> um, of the exercise routines, the weight really come off at that point. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about the psychological component of your journey. Did you have any help? Because I would think there would be some anger issues involved, and, and, and you know, just there's a, it's a, such a major life change. Um, did you have any help? Well, they, they tried to send in – well, they did send in people to try to talk to you and figure out what's going on. The thing was I knew what was wrong. I knew who did it to me. The thing was just taking responsibility for it. That was my biggest problem. I, I was looking – even laid up in a rehab center, I was looking for somebody to blame hmm. for, for, for my poor choices. And when I come to the realization that, look, 
you got yourself into this. Nobody else. That's when, that's when it kind of set in. And I, I was mad at that point, but I was mad at me. Right. You know, I wasn't mad at anybody else. I was trying to be mad. That's at the worst else. mad there is. It, it is. But I, I used. It was. It's one of those things where. Once I realized it was me, then it became a little bit easier. Okay, now you got to address these issues. Nobody's going to do it for you. you got to handle it. So I kind of shied away from a lot of the, the, the talk. I didn't mm-hmm. need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably did. I chose not to take it. Mm-hmm. But it was rough. There was a lot of things. You're mad at yourself. You're, you're, you're looking for people to blame. You're emotional. Um, you see these TV shows where as they go through the weight loss process, you know, they're emotional – some of that is, is real. Some of it's probably not as real, but it, it is. When your body's going through that kind of change, it's very emotional, especially 200 pounds in 90 days. I mean, that was, that was quite a big transition for me, and, wow. and it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Let me give the phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 from outside the Bloomington area. If you want to call in from Vigo County, you can do that, uh, or you can join us on a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can even follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Ryan, where do you stand now in your process? Um, I, uh, yeah. You don't look very heavy. I, it's one of those things like you guys say, you look great or yeah. this, that. But you know when it's yourself, you, you, we always say, if I can get from point A to point B, I'll be satisfied. But then you get to point B, and you're like, now if I can just get to point C, I'll be mm-hmm, happy. Mm-hmm. It's finding that place where you're just happy where you're at. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's hard. That's mm-hmm. hard to figure out. And I'd still like to lose about 50, 40, 50 more pounds. I'm working at it. The farther you get, the harder it gets. You yeah. have to constantly change what you're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. your body gets used to certain things. So keeping your body guessing is, is tough. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, I think I said when you said you've been up to 720 pounds, I think, 735 yeah. pounds, because, you know, Ryan walked in. During the break, and and I thought you were going to say that maybe you were at three fifty or four hundred pounds or something like that, which still seems like very large. But when you said seven hundred thirty-five mm-hmm. pounds, that was shocking to me to sit here and look at you. You look today. like an athletic guy. I, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about um, your program, the the taking on obesity program uh, at the uh, the Y. Well, let me let me just give you a little intro into that. Okay. Uh, last April, I broke down and fi- I spoke at a health fair at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne. And I was really shocked at the response that I got from sharing because up to that point, I mean, like, I had been going to the Y, but I didn't share, like, pre Y. They just saw me when I first started coming. That was a part of my life I wanted to forget about. Mm. Um, but after seeing the response, I knew I had to share with the director of the Y. So I, I, said, De- I said, Deb, I said, look, there's some things I need to tell you. So as I explained it, she's like, wow. Um, she's like, can we call local news station? I'd love to have them write a story about this. People need to know. Mm-hmm. I said, sure. So the story came out, and just the feedback was just amazing. And then um, the, the news station got a hold of it, and they wanted to share it. Then United Way got on board, and they said, you know, we would love for you. We want to focus on uh, success stories within the community. And that really wasn't a, a route they had been in the past. They mm-hmm. kind of did other things. But they want to focus on just local people and, and just success stories. So I teamed up with them. That transitions into earlier this year. Um, we ended up taking over the facility in Terre Haute. They, there were some issues there, there, and they closed for a while. They just reopened in June. But the United Way said, hey, we'd like to start a program that focuses on obesity within the community. Because Vigo County is just like any other county in Indiana. There's, there's a need for uh, attention to obesity. Mm-hmm. So Deb, Debbie Plummer, she said, immediately thought of me. She said, you know, you've done this. You've been through this. You've lived it. What a, there's no better tool than somebody who's experienced what somebody else is going through. Mm-hmm. So we sat and talked about it. And I, I just told her, I, I don't really feel capable of doing this. And she said, why? So I explained, you know, I don't have this. I, I, I kind of reverted back for a minute. I don't have this or I can't do that or this, that or the mm-hmm. other. You know, even now, you still kind of use those things. And she's like, look, I can teach you. All right. She goes, but we can get you certifications. We can do all these things. We can give you those. But I can't teach a, a, a trainer your experiences. 
uh, a trainer can't come in and relate to what somebody's going through, their, their mental state at that time, how they respond to, to new things, how to adjust, um, how to transition that to, to your home life. You know, it's one thing to go to, to a facility and work out. It's another thing to go home and start cleaning your cabinets out, too. Mm-hmm. People, a lot of people don't understand there's a balance there. Mm-hmm. You have to have mm-hmm. both. It, one does you no good without the other. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I never incorporated nutrition and exercise in my life. So my whole process was just a learning process. I mean, mm-hmm. I figured out what worked, what didn't work. <clears throat> so as we had this talk, I said, I need to think about it. And I went back and I said, you know, you're right. And I took the position. She said, here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to focus on. I said, yeah. So United Way. Got the program started through the YMCA of Vigo County, and we, we just started. I reached out to people, kind of just planted some seeds. Hey, you know, here's what we're thinking about doing, posting things up. It's hard to approach somebody and say, hey, I think you'd be a good fit for our program. <laughs> yeah, <know>? really. <laughs> That's not really the way you want to approach that. <laughs> There's their self-esteem. That's an awkward conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, when, when, you're, when you're bigger, your self-esteem is lower anyway. And, and you're, you're very self-conscious. Very self-conscious. So. You had to be careful how you approach them. So we just started posting things throughout the facility. You know, if there's an interest, sign up. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of people sign up. Um, I, I, I was very honest up front. I said, look, I understand the turnover rate with a program like this is going to be very high. Mm-hmm. People want to lose weight. They're excited about the thought of losing weight. But when I start saying commitment, accountability, and I start throwing out words like that, that that scares people off. Mm-hmm. Um, those are words that when you get to that point, you probably don't have a lot of in your life. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that was a big thing too. I didn't have somebody to go work out with when I started. Mm-hmm. I just did it on my own, but I was accountable to myself, but I used my previous experiences as my reference point. So that kind of led us to the program. We started bringing people in. I wanted to start small. I didn't want to start off with 40, 50 people and be overwhelmed and not, I want to figure out what's going to work. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you have to work with each person differently. You have different personalities, different compositions. There's so many things that factor in. And I realize I don't have all the expertise to make this position successful. But the thing is, you can surround yourself with people who can help you. Mm-hmm. And when I started reaching out to people in the community, um, you know, nutritionists, diabetes nurse educators, uh, physicians, and I started sharing our local hospital. I talked to head of PR for not-for-profits, and I shared with then what I was doing, yeah, we want to get involved. What can we do to help? You know, I want to volunteer. I'll do this. I had a couple of ladies when I spoke to them about the nutritional side of things. Absolutely. They would just jump right on board because they had heard a little bit about me and what I had done and then how I wanted to transition that over to the people I was going to be helping. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazing just the feedback that you get. People's willing to help. Mm-hmm. So how many people do you have in the program? Right now we have 18 people. That's great. And we've been at it. I, I took like the first month just to reach out to people and like the, the professionals and establish contacts within the community. And the second month was just getting the people in, telling them what we expected, the expectations for the program. Uh, you got to set expectations with everybody. You, you control the situation. You can't let them control it. Mm-hmm. You got to let them know what the guidelines mm-hmm. are. And it, it's, it's actually just very surprising. And I, I, it shouldn't be, but it's surprising that how really good people are doing i mean it's a transition people have bad days i mean it's just i have bad days now and i'm four and a half years almost five years in it it gets easier it never gets easy it gets easier you know the more you do something the more it's it's familiar to you it's not unfamiliar anymore and it it makes it makes your your daily life better but it's not a diet it's it's a complete change and you hear that all the time it's a lifestyle change but at the end of the day, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. What's your position on um, lap bands and gastric bypass? When I first got out of rehab, uh, all the physicians said, you know, you need these surgeries. If you want to live a healthy life, you need to have these done. So when I went to see my primary care physician, he said, hey, here's a seminar. I want you to go learn about it. Because if I'm going to have this done in my body, I want to know what it entails. So we went. I went to the first seminar, and I come back, and I lost like 22 pounds in the first month. He's like, hold off. All right, I'm jumping off track, but here's my stance. People want to use these corrective surgeries as a first resort. Um, At the end of the day, I think if you've tried everything else and you're unsuccessful, I think you have to do what's best for you. Um, Am I going to encourage it? No. I I think you can do it on your own. It just takes 
a mental mindset. It takes that mindset, and you have to have commitment. Um, I, I was going to have it done. I mean, that's where I was. But at the weight I was, the rate I was losing weight, I didn't go that route. People get their stomachs fixed. You know, they get all this rewired, but they don't get the thing that got them there rewired. And that's why you see such a high failure rate with. I mean, are there success stories with these surgeries? Sure, there are. I mean, but there's a lot of failure rate with these these kind of procedures because their stomach's fixed. It's smaller now, but your mind is what makes those choices as to what goes into your body. And I don't mm-hmm. think people really take that in consideration when they have these surgeries done. So if you have any questions, you can give us a call for a few more minutes at 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. I have to put that in there because our, our listeners might want to hear from you. It's a fascinating story. And mm-hmm. one of the things that you said, and I want to uh, ask Samantha and you both to talk about this a little bit, is, you know, it, everything is sort of internalized. I know, you know, I want to lose, lose 40 pounds. You know, there was a time when I weighed what I kind of thought, and people would – I'd say, I still want to lose 10 pounds. People say, no, 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 you don't want to lose – 10 more pounds. So it, it really all has to do with, you know, how you feel mm-hmm. and knowing your own weight and your own height and everything else. And your age is a part and of your it, age, too. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, how do you – Samantha, let me turn to you first. I mean, how do you get people to make that first step and, and then to be able to, to sort of keep on a program so they can get to where they want to go? I think, unfortunately, um, practitioners need to take a step back and um, have a conversation with people when they come in. Um, There's too many people that I've seen, unfortunately, come in that have been talked at and um, Mm -hmm. not had a conversation with. Um, Like Ryan was saying, you already know the situation you're in, and um, most of the time you don't need someone telling you that. But I think taking a few moments just to meet them where they're at, um, there's lots of models and theories out there, but really that readiness to change if people want to look at it up, um, there's different stages you go through. And when someone's just at that pre-contemplation stage, um, you need to meet them where they're at and just talk about maybe the pros and cons of changing. You can't just jump in and start talking about, okay, well, let's start doing this, this, and this when when someone might not be quite that ready. Mm -hmm. Um, When you finally get them to buy into making a few small changes, I think it then has that snowball effect. But you really have to also relate back to people's um, values and their morals and what's going on in their life. Um, Sometimes there's a whole list of non-food-related things that are going on in their life that they haven't even related back to their eating yet that I can sit and talk through. And sometimes just making that connection, having that conversation really helps them um, just for a starting point. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, Ryan, and your client folks, are you calling clients? Participants, Participants, whatever whatever you want to to call them. The folks with whom you're working. (laughs) um, What are you seeing? Are you seeing people get off their medicine for diabetes, or have you seen any great changes yet? Not not yet. I mean, like, we've only been at it a month. Oh, okay. Well, gosh, that's a little much to expect. We're we're seeing the weight loss, which is the first step. You start showing results, um, even for small, people's going to buy into what you're doing. And I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is just being able to relate to where most of them are at. I may not have experienced everything they've experienced, mm-hmm. but I know the struggles that come along with losing weight. I know how difficult it is to figure out where to start, um, getting motivated to start. You know, Going into a workout facility, when you're overweight, you're very uncomfortable. You're constantly looking around. Are people looking at me? Oh, I'm out of place. What people fail to realize is just because somebody is smaller in a workout area, doesn't mean they're not working towards the same thing you are. They're mm-hmm. just at a different stage. Mm-hmm. People fail to realize that, and you think, oh, well, they're skinny. You know, why are they here? Because they, they don't want to get to a point where maybe you've gotten to. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to just realize you're all there for the same thing. Exactly. And that, 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 that's hard to grasp, though, when you're starting off. Yes. Well, one of the things I remember, and I'm going to give a shout-out to Dylan, who Mary <laughs> Catherine's son, who was talking about Weight Watchers being a great uh, diet. You know, I've, I'm a Weight Watchers graduate from way back. And one of the things I remember from when they, when I first went into the program is a woman who was doing the program brought in uh, a pound of butter, four sticks of butter, took one of them out. And, you know, that's a pretty good size. And said, so this is one quarter of a pound, you know, and you need to, you know, you're carrying – 
how many of these pounds of butter are you carrying around on your body? But but yet you know, her encouragement was you need to look at how you can drop you know one stick of butter at a time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Quarter of a pound, half pound, pound, and then eventually it'll get to something meaningful. Well, yeah, and I think that we're so hard on ourselves and society is, is hard on us too. I mean, as I said, we talked about earlier, you have to make 200 food choices a day on average. That's a remarkable amount. We're bombarded by images of food and opportunities to eat, most of us. I mean, certainly there is food insecurity, and I don't want to diminish that. But um, there are so many opportunities. And then, um, so of course, you know, it it makes sense. A lot of it makes sense, I think, um, that, that as many of us are overweight as we are. And so I think it would be nice if we could kind of not be so hard on ourselves and yet take a constructive approach that, yes, this is an issue. There are certainly reasonable um, explanations for why we got to where we are, and here's what we need to do now. So, uh, yeah, I guess some of that judgment would be nice right. to, to do away with. When I see somebody who's uh, – anybody, actually, if I see anybody out exercising, I don't care if they weigh 120 pounds or 720 pounds – I'm just like, you go, girl. You go, you know, go. Do it. Awesome. I'm just impressed to see him out there. It, it's, it's funny to see somebody's um, initial reaction. Like, for me, <clears throat> I had a lady when she come in saying, wow, you're the wellness coordinator. And um, it kind of caught me by surprise, but I, I guess it shouldn't because a lot of times we go off initial perception. And, and we don't know what somebody went through to get to where they're at now. We, we don't know what led up to that point. All we see is this right now. And so I said, well, here's why I am the coordinator. And I explained what I've been through and, and my struggles. And she's like, she was very quick to say, I'm sorry. You know, she didn't know. Mm-hmm. But that's the, we're so quick to judge sometimes in, instead of knowing, you know, where some of the underlying issues are. We'll just pop off mm-hmm. uh, for a comment and we don't think about it and how that could affect somebody. Mm-hmm. But we, we, you have to be careful with things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are sensitive. We have less than a minute to go, but I want each of you to give one practical tip, one change you made in either what you eat or exercise you make, just one very quick practical tip that people can take away with them. Samantha? I would say um, sugar-sweetened beverages. Take a look at what you're drinking. Our body doesn't accept them the same way that we do uh, food. We can drink those same amount of calories and still eat the same amount of calories in food, um, and it just doesn't sit with our body the same way. Um, If you have the chance to view The Weight of the Nation, the HBO four-part documentary, documentary series. I highly recommend it. Um, that's something that gives people lots more tips. Okay. One quick tip. Just just make a commitment to start. Mm-hmm. Start somewhere. Start small because once you get that, that start, once you get going, it'll transition into more and more and more. Just just take that first step. That's the hardest one. All right. Well, hey, thank you both for being here today. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's been quite a conversation. Ryan Daffer uh, from Vigo County was with us and Samantha Schaefer, dietitian with Indiana University Health in Bloomington. Thanks to both of you. Thanks also to Marcy Mimmer, who was here the first half of the show. And, of course, to Mary Catherine Carmichael, uh, producers Gretchen Frazee and, and, and uh, Julie Raw, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.